0: Now for a look at the bigger picture, let's bring in Jeffrey Kleintop, Chief Global Investment Strategist at Charles Schwab, our weekly chat about the global markets, which are crucial to what's happening right here at home. Um, What's your reaction to the latest economic data? I mean, we know CPI, PPI, PCE. Uh, pretty much everything has been showing inflation. We got our jobless claims today, um, under 200,000 again. And so it's just showing us a lot of work for the Fed. What are you watching?
1: Uh, And it's not just in the US, you just did a nice run through of the inflation indicators and some of the near-term economic ones. We've seen upside economic surprises in every major country over the past month, ranging from leading indicators like the PMI surveys that we've gotten here over the past few days to lagging ones like jobs and and jobless claims, like you just mentioned. I mean, what a difference a month makes. Central bank terminal rate hike expectations have been marching higher over the course of February, now here in early March, Uh, we've almost completely wiped out any expectations Expectations for rate cuts in the second half of the year, which were a popular theory back in January. And how much further they have to move, uh, you can see how across countries they've marched higher here, really depends on how much stronger the February data comes in. It's reported this month, yesterday's PMIs hint at further upside surprises to growth and inflation. So it's possible we're seeing a building wave of growth and inflation pressures rather than merely one month of, one month of data. i note the Eurozone CPI data out this morning highlights why central bank officials are sticking to their hawkish tone, despite warm weather, which uh, saw lower natural gas prices. We still saw core inflation at all time highs in the Eurozone.
0: Yeah. And that's the whole thing. I saw that the general number was around eight and a half percent, but Spain a little bit lower. but France, Germany was above. That was like closer to 9%, right? So you are seeing these inf- hot inflation prints abroad. I almost thought, remember when we used to say, oh, well, Europe's in recession, but the U.S. is doing great. That's not the story at all. I mean, now it's a completely, I mean, there's so much going on. You have China reopening and the factories moving and jumping and growing at the fastest pace in 10 years. I mean, there's just a million things going on all over the place. I don't know how you do your job. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's a lot to keep track of. I think the takeaway from all of this is maybe some of the upside surprise here uh, probably won't be as surprising next time. I mean, I think the market's adjusting and certainly economists are adjusting to this better economic momentum. And not to say that data is robustly strong everywhere, but just surprisingly strong given where we've come from. I think what this is telling us is that just like COVID had multiple waves, it's possible that growth and inflation may have multiple waves as well. You know, inflation's moved in in waves before. It did that in the 1970s. You can see here in this chart that I put together shows the current inflation wave in orange with the first big wave back in the 1970s for the US. It also looks like this for the UK, Canada, Australia, most other countries that have a long inflation series. But like subsequent waves of COVID, maybe subsequent waves of of growth and inflation could be milder in their impact, but still cause investors to be nervous about the the Fed policy response leading to market volatility. So I guess what I'm saying is maybe don't expect a linear decline in inflation from here, but maybe waves of of inflation as we move lower, kind of like what we're going through right now. I think the takeaway from that is more volatility in the stock market, kind of like what we're what we've been seeing here in, in recent days. Yeah, and some
0: of that has to do with how the dollar moves too. Um, another question I have for you is the Bank of Japan. So, um, you know, what's our feeling towards the Bank of Japan? as they're doing quantitative easing and we're doing quantitative tightening, tightening, and it's offsetting. It's like when one spouse is saving money and the other one's spending money, and you're trying to still, you know, pay the bills. What's going on here?
1: that's a great way to put it because that's exactly what's happening on a global basis I know it's so easy for US investors to get really focused on the Fed it's easy to overlook other monetary authorities the Bank of Japan has been a really important factor but hasn't really changed for 20 years The Bank of Japan's policy is basically keep interest rates zero for the last 20 years. And that means they've been a very important source of investing funding. You can borrow cheaply in yen and then purchase investments in other countries offering a higher return. This is called the yen carry trade. And since October of last year, uh, the Bank of Japan has actually served to offset the impact of the Fed's quantitative tightening on global financial conditions because they've been doing quantitative easing to try and keep their bond yields low. But now. We've got the change for the first time in a decade, a new leader at the Bank of Japan coming into place in April suggesting there might be a change to this path, meaning unraveling of all this borrowing that's taken place that supported assets outside of Japan and a repatriation of capital back to Japan, meaning that this could lead to some turmoil across global markets in the coming months.
0: Yeah, yeah. And thank you for that. And then I, you know, I start to think here at home. I mean, some people, savers are being rewarded finally with some higher rates, um, though others who want to get a mortgage are, are noticing 7% again. In the meantime, you have consumers racking up debt, high credit card debt, they're dipping into the savings and national debt, which also is a concern. Not only for now, but also for generations ahead, right? where Where do the problems stand in the big picture?
1: Uh, debt is probably the thing that keeps me awake most at night, but it's a long-term concern, not necessarily a near-term one. And uh, you know, often we think about the U.S. and all of that debt and, and the deficits that we're, we're funding. Where do we run into the wall? Well, I look to Japan again, just as we talked about the Bank of Japan. Japan IS many times the amount of debt relative to its economy that the U.S. does, and it just continues to do QE and, and keeps keeping rates down. Now, that policy might be might be about to change, but the point is that they've been able to sustain much higher levels of debt for much longer than anyone thought possible. I think the pressure release valve will be in the currency when we start to see, uh, we begin to get to that point where it's become more difficult to borrow, uh, and we're running these massive unsustainable trade and and fiscal deficits, I think you probably see that in a much, much weaker decline, a much weaker dollar, and we just haven't seen that yet. Our view is the dollar may begin to decline subject to these pressures over the coming years, but not a crash. And so while I do think these are big longer term problems. It's not like we're hitting a wall here where we're going to fall off a cliff uh, in the near term. At least that's what the history shows us looking outside the U.S.
0: Yeah, just quickly on international stocks. We talked about that recently. Um, A quick thought, international stocks versus U.S. stocks.
1: They continue to outperform. And one of the reasons is there are many more higher quality stocks outside the U.S. What I mean by that is lower price to cash flow ratios, Company, companies generating more cash flow, uh, stronger balance sheets. They've continued to outperform. They have for over a year now. We continue to talk about it here in your show. And they, they continue to outperform. They've outperformed here in the first quarter. They performed in the fourth quarter. They outperformed all of last year, even as markets were going down. So both on the downside and the upside, low price to cash flow, bottom 20% price to cash flow. You can use screeners uh, on schwab.com to easily find those types of stocks. They're the ones that are performing well. And again, you'll find more of those outside the U.S. helping to support that international outperformance of U.S. markets.
0: Jeffrey Kleintop, thank you so much. Don't stay up at night. It's not good. You have to get your REM sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Jeffrey, Jeffrey Kleintop, Chief Global Investment Strategist, Charles Schwab. Thank you.